Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today I have the pleasure of sharing my conversation with Charlie Engel. Charlie is a global ultra-endurance athlete, founder of the 5.8 Global Adventure Series, one of the most ambitious expeditions in modern history, trekking from the lowest to the highest points on all seven continents. He is also one of the most accomplished ultra-marathon runners in the world, completing hundreds of races around the world. Charlie was profiled in the film Running the Sahara, produced and narrated by Matt Damon. This documentary highlighted his historic record-setting journey across the world's largest desert, running nearly two marathons a day for 111 consecutive days, which is a total of more than 4,500 miles. Charlie's transcontinental run through deep sand and politically unstable countries remains one of the premier accomplishments in the ultra-endurance and adventure sports worlds. After crossing the Sahara and seeing the global water crisis firsthand, Charlie teamed up with Matt Damon to raise $6 million and create H2O Africa, which later became the global humanitarian organization Water.org. Charlie's memoir, Running Man, became a bestseller shortly after it was published in 2016. While the book details his inspiring life story, it's about more than just running. It's about facing demons, overcoming impossible odds, keeping your sense of humor, and discovering that redemptive power of putting one foot in front of the other, even when you feel like you can't keep going. Charlie is a good friend, a mentor, and an inspiration. We had a great conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. Without further ado, Charlie Engel. Welcome to Three Thoughts On. I am delighted to have Charlie Engel at the podcast today. Charlie, how are you doing today? Man, life is good today because I'm sitting here with you. Thank you for saying that, Charlie. Charlie and I have known each other for a number of years now, and I am so happy that we've become good friends. And I'm happy that you're making the time. I know you're a busy guy. You're working on a lot of projects right now. But I want to get started by giving people who don't know who you are a little bit of a, a story about who you are and what do you do today? Yeah, well, I'm going to start with, with this right here, Raphael, uh, because <laughs> this tells a little bit about who I am. Uh, I just, a couple of weekends ago, uh, surpassed my 31-year anniversary of being clean and sober. And every year uh, I do a special run where I run for the same number of hours to equal my year sober. So I ran for 31 hours this year. And I invited many of my closest friends, you included, to come share that experience with me. And so I wore this shirt today to, to honor the fact that you gave up a weekend and came and spent that weekend with me walking and running around in a circle and sharing love and fellowship and community with a bunch of other people. And I, I would like to say that that is like the definition of who I am, community, fellowship, um, going back in my life, you know, I, I, uh, I struggled with addiction from a pretty early age in college, uh, spent 10 years kind of trying to dig myself out of that hole, you know, all the time, you know, leading companies in sales and living an outwardly successful life, but really struggling with drinking and with cocaine specifically. And, 
the birth of my first son at 29 was sort of the catalyst for me to make a change. Now, in, in the longer version in my book, you know, I talk about how I thought just him being alive was actually going to stop me from drinking and drugging. And, and that's not how it works. You know, I, I needed to go into the abyss and hit bottom. And I did do that uh, many, many times. But that final time 31 years ago, really started my running career. And I, I, you know, I went to an AA meeting on that particular night, and I got up the next day and put on my running shoes. And I'd say for the last 31 years, I haven't really stopped running since. And that includes a couple hundred marathons, lots and lots of ultra marathons, runs across uh, countries and entire continents. In fact, I became the first person to ever run all the way across Africa, uh, the Sahara Desert, specifically about 4,500 miles. Uh, and in that run, I ran, you know, two marathons every day for 111 consecutive days. And Matt Damon made a documentary film. Together, we created Water.org, which is the world's largest clean water nonprofit. Uh, so in a sober life, I managed to really accomplish some cool things, you know, not things that made me a lot of money or I wasn't after anything, but the knowledge that I was capable of doing uh, something big. And I think the main thing is that I've used whatever notoriety I've gotten out of that to uh, as a springboard to spend a lot of time talking about addiction and recovery. Uh, I have worked with Deepak Chopra, as you know, because uh, you're friends with him also, and his uh, Chopra Foundation uh, to try to help solve some of the issues around addiction and recovery. Um, you know, I I work in most everything I do these days has to do with wellness in some way, shape or form, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional wellness. And uh, you and I have that in common. And so, you know, that's that's a short version of, of kind of, you know, where I am. I live in Durham, North Carolina, which is where I'm sitting now and um, uh, married to my beautiful wife, Astasiana, who has been battling cancer for the last six years. So again, wellness is first and foremost in my day-to-day -day existence. Well, thank you for that background, Charlie. This is, I find your life very interesting. And every time we get together, I learn a little bit more, a little bit something new. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about, so you've, you mentioned 31 years of being clean, being sober. And in those 31 years, you've, you've been all over the world doing all kinds of amazing feats, uh, mental and physical feats. Uh, I remember being many years ago, being a huge fan of the eco challenge. And then only recently now I, I found out that you were in a few of those. So I'm going to have to have to go back to those videos from discovery channel eco challenge and see if I see you there on, on TV. But the question is, as you go through all this time, you know, you, you meet people from all over the world, you have experiences, uh, all over the world, you reach points of what it may seem like no return as, as you're going through these various feats where you have to keep pushing yourself to keep going, you know, to keep pushing your body beyond what it may tell you that it could go, pushing your mind beyond where it may tell you uh, it can go. As you look back at all that time and all those, all those endeavors, what will be some of the things that you've learned that 
you want to share with people that now that you can look back, these are some of the things that actually got me through all that. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that question. And it's, it's, I freely acknowledge a couple of things, you know, I've run a lot of miles in my life and it, it tends to beg the question for people who maybe aren't runners, especially like, you know, did I just switch addictions? Did I, you know, is the thing that I'm actually doing a healthy thing? And, you know, the, what I like to say to that is that it's been a process like most things in life. It's been this long process of, I would even say early on in my running life, I was, I was running literally to save my life. Like for the first three years of my sobriety, I ran every single day. I did not miss one day. And I ran more than 30 marathons in that period of time because I actually felt like my life depended on it. And as things progressed through the years, through the decades, even I began to run more and more for me. And, and there was, you know, early on, it's even arguable that I, I, I felt badly enough about myself as a human being, my insecurities, you know, I'm not enough. I'm not a good person. I'm not, you know, all these things, this baggage that we all tend to carry around that I ran almost to punish myself in some ways. Like there was an aspect of it where I was sort of kicking my own ass every time I went out the door. Because I kind of thought if I ran hard enough, I could get rid of the addiction part of me. That obsessive nature. I could like take a scalpel and cut that out and that wouldn't... Because I thought that guy was trying to kill me. It took those three years of running every day to understand that in fact my obsessive nature, my addictive nature is all the best parts of me. Like (laughs) that's what actually makes me good at stuff. So that's sort of been the progression, I would say, through the years. And and flash forward to today, even the run that that we did together when I ran for 31 hours, you know, I ended up running around 90 miles, something like that. Um, But there was no, (laughs) it was super slow and steady. Like I spent eight hours that night actually completely by myself, just, just loving, uh, you know, loving the time that I had alone and the, in the cool weather there in Maryland. And like, so the true joy and love of physical movement and feeling my body move through the world without judging myself for how fast or slow I was going without worrying about anything like that's, that's been the growth for me, you know, using running kind of as a mechanism for finding my place in the world. No, that's fantastic. That's actually quite a transition there from saying, you know, run to save your life to run to, to kill that aspect of you that you felt was trying to kill you to then learn that, 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 that is you felt was trying to kill you is actually a gift because it gives you focus and it gives you, you know, resilience and endurance. So that's actually a very, a very, a very good way to, to define and see the process of growth, which is what we're here to do. Right. I tell people all the time is we're not here to be happy. Uh, We're not here to make money. Uh, We're here to grow. That is the one constant in the universe is growth. Everything grows until it does it. And that's, when you stop growing, that is when the death process begins because death in itself yeah. is also a process, right? We begin from, from a scientific point of view. That's how we know we're turning yes, as we begin to die slowly, right? So right now 
you're growing, I'm growing, we're all growing, and that's and that's that's at least in my in my book the way to go. Or we're not growing. I mean, some people, you know, aren't, and and you know, and uh, some people have this feeling that if everything is just stable in their life and their you know their goal is to live a life without any problems, and what I've really learned, and especially through running too, is that. <laughs> that's an unrealistic goal. There will never be a day in my lifetime where there's not a, a quote unquote problem. You know, the, per, the, the, the key is the perception of that problem. You know, can I still find happiness and serenity in the face of unresolved problems? Because there's all, they're always going to be there. So if you, if you can only be happy when nothing is wrong, you're not going to have very many happy days. And, and so I, I think it's that embrace of what running has taught me is to embrace hardship, especially self-imposed hardship, because I'm choosing that hardship. Other hardships like my wife's illness or other things going on, I don't have a choice in, like I don't get to choose those. But the more often I put myself in a challenging situation and I find my way through that, that enables me to be able to do it sort of organically in the situations where I don't have control. And that's very powerful. Um, it, it talks to, to something that you mentioned when you were speaking to the crowd uh, that week, and you mentioned something that along the lines of, it's not what happens to us as important as what we do about it. So tell me a little bit more about that and, and how, how you came to embrace that as part of your life. Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, to me, everything, and I mean, everything is adaptation. <laughs> you know, I don't even doing a podcast, you know, doing like, I don't like to know too much before I go into things because I want it to be organic and spontaneous. And, you know, so I say quite often what happens to us isn't nearly as important as what we do about it, because what really matters is response. If you set up your life where you're trying to manipulate every situation to come out the way you want it to, that's a ridiculous waste of time, first of all. And it's too much effort on the front end. And I'm not, I'm not saying not to prepare for something. You know, if you have a meeting, if you're running a marathon, whatever, sure, preparation is, is important. But if you go into, and I mean any experience, any experience from a first date to a business meeting to running a marathon, if you go into it with the expectation of only one outcome or any outcome, frankly, because outcomes screw us up because we, we end up spending too much time focused on the outcome when the important part is what we are doing and saying right now in this moment. Things are going to go right. Things are going to go wrong. And our ability to adapt to those different, uh, those different situations along the way is actually what's important. I mean, I hate to be, be cliche, but it is the journey. It's, it's not the destination. And I mean, we, there's a million ways to say it, but that's the part that we need to pay attention to. Because, you, you know, usually the outcome is pretty anticlimactic. The outcome is almost always known uh, long before it actually comes in almost every situation. I mean, unless it's a, you know, a world cup soccer match and, you know, and you're going into penalty kicks, like, <laughs> like you just, yeah. 
and, and that's just exciting, you know, but, but in most of our lives, everything is a process. Everything is a process. Almost nothing comes truly out of the blue, even though it feels like it. And so my desire is to approach a, a really positive situation or a really negative situation with the same mindset. I want to have the same mindset of curiosity. You know, even even when something terrible is happening, I actually want to be able to see it and be curious about this terrible thing that's going on rather than panic because panic doesn't ever help. And, you know, it's my way of processing and running again is what's taught me that because I've I've run you know more than 100 miles a lot of times, you know, at one time. And during that process, I've wanted to quit <laughs> hundreds of times because I'm I'm not stupid. You know, I, even I get out there and I'm like, why did I think this was a good idea? But, you know, the point is you find that point that you can't possibly go on emotionally, physically, spiritually. There's no way you can go on. And then you find a way to push past that by focusing only on the moment you are in and not projecting that bad moment into the future. Because that's what we normally do is we we take that moment, an argument with a loved one. Um, you, you got a twinge in your knee during a marathon and our brain goes, oh, man, it's always going to be like this from this point forward. But that's not true. You know, it's just not the way it is. So we, ha in my view, the best thing we can all do and that I've learned to do is to, to teach ourselves to focus on the moment not projected into the future as it's always going to be, you know, terrible and uh, and just one step at a time, focus on where you are right now. You mentioned a lot of things in there that I, I find interesting and you just reminded me of a, of a quick story. You mentioned adaptation, you know, and a few years ago I had the, the blessed opportunity to take my kids to or to be with my kids in in London. Uh, we, we had a quick vacation where we spent part of the time in London and then part of the time in in uh, mainland Europe. And one of the places that they they wanted to go to was Oxford. So we went to Oxford and uh, we walked around and we bumped into an area there where Charles Darwin uh, had worked and where he had the area where he had given his speech, the original speech of the. Uh, origin of the species is now uh, a museum with all kinds of really cool artifacts. And then they have, they have a uh, uh, pillars and signs of this is where Charles, you know, talked about blah, 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 this and that. And these are all the great minds. And while my kids were walking around looking at the museum, I, I, I bumped into one of the professors and I started asking him about, about Darwin. And he said, you know, an interesting thing about, about the origin of the species is that, Darwin didn't really focus on uh, survival of the fittest. That's something that came much after by a lot of the folks that evaluated his work. He himself, and you can see this when you read the, the document, this is him telling me this. He actually focused and he used a lot the word or the phrase survival of the adaptable. Mm. Right. Um, in his mind, that was the core. Somehow, 
And in the process of time and people getting into his work, it became survival of the fittest. And everybody talks about survival of the fittest today. But that wasn't his intention. His intention was, according to his professor, who I was fascinated having this conversation where he said he really cared about the survival of the adaptable because only those who adapt survive. So it's it's interesting how yeah. you know this is part of, of of your core because it was also part of of Darwin's. Well, uh, we think yeah. about fittest because I love what you just said. You know, we think about fittest as being physically fit, you know, mentally fit. Like we think about fittest as being sort of a powerful state of mind, but in fact, to me, the person who is fittest is the one who is most flexible who is, you know, whatever comes their way, it just sort of like, you know, it just sort of brushes off. And, you know, you, you know, you block that some of the, some of the blows you're going to take, but you're, you're going to like absorb them and you're going to then respond. And, you know, what happens to us isn't as important as what we do about it. And it's, it's, I, I think that people who, uh, really want control of every situation and feel like the outcome is totally in their hands. I think they generally are fairly miserable people <laughs> because that just doesn't happen. That's not real life. You know, real life is about things coming out of nowhere or things not going your way. And, you know, if you can take those things, you know, treat them as teachable moments and, you know, you learn, like I know when I'm running, when I'm in a long race and I hit 60 miles and I can't go any further, my brain is telling me like, this is it. Like I can't, I can't, I'm done. I can't go any farther. But I know that if I dig into my experience and my knowledge, I know that actually what my, what my body is telling me is I need calories. I need to drink something I probably need to like slow down just a little bit and walk for, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. Like those, those are the practical things, the actions that I can actually take. And if I do those things, you know, my pain may only go from a 10 to an eight, but when you're at a 10, an eight seems like the best, you know, situation ever. And, and I think we can apply that sort of same sort of thinking to business, to our relationships. Like there are times when it just feels impossible, but we have accumulated the tools if we just use them. You know, the, the biggest mistake that people make is they take self-help courses. They, they do all these things to try to improve themselves, but then they don't ever get any real world experience. And that's, again, why you don't have to run like a lot of the people listening to this. Maybe they're not runners. But to me, physical outlets are the way to go because they're controllable, generally speaking. And and you can quit like you could go out for a 20 mile run right now. You know, either of us could. And you know what? If it gets too bad or the pain's too much or we get injured or what, what we fall apart, we can quit. It's not life and death, you know, I mean, so you can, whereas a lot of the situations like a marriage or your business or whatever, like you can't, you can't quit. I mean, you, you have to find a resolution to the thing. So if you've, if you've never felt what it's like to be empty and to be hopeless, 
which is how you feel sometimes if you're running like a marathon. Like if you've never felt that before, then you can't know how to respond. And and so again, I am a the Darwin example is great because I think the fittest is the person that most often puts themselves in a difficult situation, learns from that experience and uses that knowledge to help themselves in every other part of their life. So does that, does that go along or is that like the source you, you have a phrase that you use often. And I think I, I think it's in the, in the documentary uh, where you say you have to redefine your relationship with pain. Is is that part of that origin of, of of your philosophy there? It is. No, it's such thank you. It's such a it's such a great thing. And it is a sentence that I actually said out loud to Matt Damon. He and I had just run 10 miles together in New York City. And we had just met and he he was considering, you know, executive producing and narrating the film running the Sahara. And, uh, and he actually said to me, you know, I can't, I 10 miles, that's because we ran 10 miles together at a pretty good pace. And he's like, man, that is my limit. I can't possibly go any farther. And I did say to him, I said, you know, Matt, you just have to redefine your relationship with pain. And I, it just came out of nowhere. This wasn't a practice thing. It was just what I felt in that moment. And I believe that to be really true. You know, we, We set limitations for ourselves because we're afraid. We're afraid we can't do it. We hedge our bets by saying, oh, well, here's what I want to do. But if I can get to this place, then that'll be okay. Like, I'll be okay with that. So instead of taking the risk to say, no, I'm getting to the finish line no matter what. And you know, instead of taking that, then we, we give ourselves outs along the way. And I'll give you another great example. And this is true. I, I, you ever watch an Ironman triathlon? You ever watch the finish? Yeah. Right. So you see the finish. How many people like fall across the finish line? They literally fall across the finish line. Like they are done. They are empty. 100%. Guess what? If you moved that finish line a half a mile down the street, they would get to the finish line and then they would collapse. If you moved it five miles farther down the road, they would get to that finish line and then collapse. So that that tells you it's it's a mental approach to this. You know, we we give our all to get to a certain destination, but that destination doesn't have to be predetermined, you know. And and again, we if we can find ways to appreciate and um, and really absorb the journey in a way that uh, is both kind to ourselves and not hard. Like, oh, well, I didn't reach my goal, so I suck. Like, that's a, that's a common thing that I hear from people that I coach even. And I, and I really make them take a step back and understand that there's no, you know, <laughs> we're not Usain Bolt or, uh, you know, or Kipchoge trying to break two hours in the marathon. Like we're just trying to make our lives better and to give yourself a hard time about taking a chance and then maybe not hitting the goal that you set for yourself to actually beat yourself up over that is so counterproductive to anything because you and I also talked like it doesn't matter. Nobody cares We, we think the world is watching us and what we do. So we're embarrassed if we don't achieve something, whether it's in business or athletics or whatever it is. And, and I don't mean they don't care about us. 
it's just that we are inherently, you know, we care about ourselves more than we care about anybody else. Like the, nobody, you know, nobody is going to write us and say, oh, you suck, you know, because you, you, you ran a four hour marathon or a five hour marathon. Like it, it's not, that's not real. That's in our heads. So we need to take risks, put ourselves out there, do hard things. Don't over plan. You know, people get caught up in getting stuck in, in the planning phase and they never launch because, you know, the situation just isn't right. It's like having kids. You and I think we talked about this. <laughs> you know how when you're young and you think you're going to have kids and you're like, OK, but first I'm going to get this much money in the bank and I'm going to pay off my car and this and that. And all this stuff's going to happen before I have kids because I, I want to be really prepared. None of that shit ever works, right? I mean, it doesn't work. You just, you, 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 you figure it out. Like it's the ultimate hack and just having to figure out from a day-to-day basis how to actually do this. Oh, this is, this is great. I'm going to share something with you along the lines of what you just said and then kind of get your thoughts around that. You said, you know, no one cares what you do. And when I got back from, from the weekend there at Maryland, and of course, that was for me. It was a beautiful, a beautiful time uh, being in that environment. It was the first time I'd ever been in a at an addiction center. You know, the Ashley you know, Addiction Recovery Center It was a beautiful property, beautiful all around. And you introduced me to all your friends, right? I knew you, I knew Greg, and I knew Hillary. Uh, outside of that, I didn't know anybody else. And when I got back. You know, you dropped me off at the airport. I flew back and some of my friends met me here. We had dinner and they asked me, so how was it? And one of the things that I said, is like, you know, no one asked me the entire weekend, what do you do? You know, which is a typical where I am, you know, I, I am in a corporate environment, you know, here in Lake Norna Medical City, you know, everybody is trying to build something and do something. And, and that's all good. We need that. Right. But it was foreign to me to be with how, however many people were there, 200, however many people ended up showing up. And then uh, sharing meals, running and walking with people for, for two days and having all kinds of conversations. I ended up playing music for, for all of them at one point. And no one asked me, what do I do? No one was really interesting in what interested, I'm sorry, in what I did for a living. They were just happy for me to be there sharing with them. And we were just living the moment and talking about stuff and cheering you on and supporting you and the cause. Why do you think that is? What makes that atmosphere? I don't want to say that they don't care because obviously people care, but that it's not at the forefront of the first five minutes of meeting someone. It's like, hey, by the way, my name is so-and-so. Okay, great. Share pleasantries. Now, what do you do? I, I, I know exactly the answer to that. I appreciate the question. That's so funny. It makes me smile so big, you know, and it's because, you, you know, you're right. We go through most of us in our business life, especially hell, even in our personal life, you know, if you aren't in a relationship, but you're looking for one and you go to a, a bar or a party or wherever else you might meet somebody and, uh, you know, you start a conversation pretty much in the first five minutes, that other person is going to ask what you do, or you're going to ask them because you're, you're auditioning, right? You're auditioning. That's what it is. Like you want to find out. 
especially with business, like, does this person have something that is valuable to me? Or is there some way that we could, you know, connect? And the beautiful thing about, you know, the penguin and, and I think about the addiction community in general and recovery community, I should really say, is that everybody under like you come into it, understand that everybody's seen a certain amount of shit. <laughs> and I know, you know, I know you while addiction isn't, you know, an issue for you personally, you've had it in your life with other people. You've, you know, you, you understand the core of kind of where this comes from. And so we are all together in fellowship to just like outwardly love each other, share this experience, have some fun, not have those pressures of what am I getting out of this? And I mean, what tangible thing am I getting out of it? You know, mostly what you get out of this kind of experience is sort of esoteric. It's hard to put your finger on exactly, you know, what did I come away, you know, from this experience with? And I think that's the the, the, the true beauty of it is there's not expectations. You don't have to feel like you're on stage. You were literally on stage for a while because you were kind enough to pick up the guitar and uh, sing. I particularly loved, you know, day two when the patients who were at Ashley currently actually were allowed to come out to the event and sit under the tent and listen to a couple of speakers and to you for 15 or 20 minutes sing songs. And like, it was just, man, it just was great. It brought tears to my eyes. And it's, and that's the, that's the power of, of, I think, doing things where there's not an expectation of getting something out of it. I also want to say one final thing. Now, I'm not correcting you when I say this, but I think you'll agree with this. It was my, yes, it was my sober birthday, 31 years. And so I, I ran for 31 hours. But as I tell everybody, you're there to honor something in yourself. You're not there really to honor my sobriety. You're there to honor either an important milestone in your own life whether there's an attachment of a number, you know, of that, or, you know, with some people, it's maybe the loss of a loved one, which I know, you know, you've experienced just recently. And, you know, to do something that is just honoring yourself and being alive and appreciative, physical movement makes you raw, especially if you do it for a while, you know, you're, you, you, every hour I was out there, I scraped away another layer of my normal daily life. And it allowed me to dig into a part of myself that I can't normally access. And I think that's what it's about. And, you know, I, I make jokes all the time about how, you know, your middle school PE teacher ruined running for you because, you know, that man or woman used running as a punishment. And all of a sudden, in your mind, you, you for the rest of your life, you think running sucks <laughs> and like this hurts and whatever. And, and, you know, and as we get older, it gets harder to restart the engine of movement. And, you know, but if you think of it as this this layer and you're taking off layers of your emotional self and sometimes even your physical self, you know, depending on your physical condition, you know, you're, you're, you're trimming all that down and you're trying to get to the good stuff and it's very accessible through physical movement. You know, you said something that I thought was very powerful 
there was a moment during the weekend and I wanted to share this with, with, with the audience because I think it's important and it has to do with relatability. There was a moment after I, you know, I played the music, I got the crowd going and then we started introducing the, the speakers, right, that were uh, speaking before you and then you spoke and then uh, the, the event continued. And there was a moment in time when I was in the back listening to, to Kelly and listened to a few of the others that, and Hillary, of course, and a few of the others that, that spoke. Mm-hmm. And for a moment, and you and I talked about this when we were on the car on the way back, I, I felt like I was out of place because almost everyone there was a recovering uh, alcoholic or an addict, and they had a story. They, they, everyone there had their dark night of the soul type of story where they had gone down into a hole, and then either on their own or with the help of loved ones, they dug themselves out, right? And I felt for a moment like I, I, I don't have a story like that, right? Uh, and, you, and you said something to me. I wanted you to, if you remember, if you can share what, what, you, what, what you answered to me when I was sharing this with you. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but, I, but what I, what I really did say, I'm sure was some version of, you know, of, of course you have a powerful story. You have a, you have a story of, of resilience, of pain, of, um, while it may not be addiction, like as we define it with drugs and alcohol, you know, you, your story is inspiring to other people. And the thing that we forget very often is we judge our own stories, all of us really as being sort of boring and that to another human being, that if you are willing to be vulnerable, because look, man, I've known you for a while, you know, and I know, I know some of the, I know some of the hardships and whatever, but when I first met you, um, I was like, man, this guy really has everything together. Like it's, you know, he knows he's smart. He's funny. He plays music. He's got this and that and whatever. And like, and I didn't like, I thought that was really great, but I also knew that the more I got to know you, the more I would learn of your struggles because it just, no, there isn't a human being alive who's, who's willing to like open up a little bit, who doesn't have those amazing struggles. So, so tell me, do, do a better job of telling me what I told no, you. No, actually that is exactly, that is around the same, almost verbatim what you said to me. And it's, and, and it has to do with that relatability is, is that we all have some level of trauma. Uh, we all have some level of level of pain. We all uh, at times choose to suffer as a result of that pain and if we zoom out and we address pain as pain, then we all relate. If we try to yeah. categorize pain, now we're segmenting ourselves, right? And then we're segmenting the population. Oh, this pain is different than that pain. And oh, your pain is not the same as my pain. At the end of the day, no one has a monopoly on pain, right? It's just pain. It's all the same, too. It's all the same. I always say success actually has a lot of different looks, right? Success can look like a lot of things. Pain looks very similar to because it almost always is about relationships. It could be loneliness. It could be fear, depression, 
can be addiction, all these things. And I, I do not know a single person who's being honest <laughs> that doesn't suffer from time to time from some of these things. How, how could a human being go through life and never have doubts? You know, maybe there's the occasional, ex- I don't even want to call them exceptional, because to me, that's either a person who's had everything handed to them or they haven't risked enough. Because if you risk things as a human being, you are going to fail. And that's that's kind of the purpose. Like, I don't, I'm never afraid to say I'm going to go do this next adventure. Or I'm going to go try this thing. And you know what? Most things actually don't work out. <laughs> I mean, that's a fact. You know, my wife kids me because I've, I've come home with more like earth changing ideas in the 10 years we've been together. And like, you know, out of 100, like five of them have actually you know, I've, I've gotten far enough on the idea to actually make something out of it, but that's not, you know, I think that's just the, you know, if you, if you want to change the world, man, you got to keep, you got to keep going at it. You got to keep digging in and you've also got to be willing to fight through the, the doubt, the pain, the fear, because having an idea, you and I both know this because we've, we've done it together. Having an idea is the exciting part. You got the idea, you're doing the building blocks, like that first 10%, you are kicking ass and the world seems like possibilities, nothing but. But then you hit that first roadblock or that first hurdle or, you know, you find out somebody else already had the idea or somebody steals your idea or whatever this thing might be. That stuff happens every single day and we have to find ways to be, to, to, be okay with that and find a way to move forward uh, in our lives. And I mean, I think that that's the, that's the beauty of vulnerability. And I mean, vulnerability is the word that I use more than any other word, you know, all the time. Cause I look at it as people see me as having accomplished some really hard things. And I have, but the way I've done it really is through vulnerability. And I feel like sharing all the dirty details and the things that didn't go the way I planned um, allows other people to then share those details about their own life. And that's the, that's the kind of conversations you and I have regularly. I mean, we've, we almost don't even have the ability with each other to have a shallow, meaningless conversation because we always dig into it. That's awesome. No, I do appreciate that about our conversations in, I wanted to, to lead to a close here with something that you told me and you've, and you mentioned to a lot of people often, which is to keep it, you have to give it away. What do you mean by that? You know, we, we all have gifts. We all have gifts. You've got a lot of gifts, but like you've got music, you've got, and I know you give it away. You give it away in a variety of ways. You either share it by openly. Anytime somebody asks you to pick up a guitar and sing, you know, you say yes. But I also know that if someone came to you, a perfect stranger even, and said, hey, do you have a little bit of time to teach me how to play a few chords on the guitar or whatever? Like, you would do it. And so the point that I like to make, to and my very first sponsor 30 years ago, his name was John, and he was in AA, and he was uh, already in his mid-70s when he became my sponsor. So he's been dead a very long time. But he said those words to me, to keep it, you have to give it away. Whatever your gift is, art, music, writing, compassion, money, like the, 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 lim, the list is limitless. But whatever that gift is, if you're not sharing it with someone else, 
freely without an expectation of a return, monetary or otherwise, then why do you have it? Like, what what is it? Because we all know that. I mean, anybody that's my friend anyway, if, if this isn't how someone's built, I'm probably not friends with them. <laughs> like, if you've gone to the trouble of getting good at this particular thing, or you have that knowledge, and someone who could really use your help asks you to help them, and, and you're not willing to do that unless you get something out of it, I, I just... I, I think that that's, that's crazy because the best feeling that I get ever is when I get an email or I get a, somebody after this podcast will reach out to me. I know it. I already know it will happen. Someone will reach out to me through my website or whatever and say, hey, can we talk about um, you know addiction or can we talk about running or we can, whatever I might have struck a nerve with? I always say yes. You know, because that's that's where I get to, like, make an impact on that person's life. And it's not much effort on my part. It takes a few minutes of my time. And, you know, you have to give it away if you plan on keeping the passion for that thing forever. That is wonderful. That's a great way to wrap up this. You know, we're a little bit out of time. We'll have to have you back at some point. Can you share with uh, the audience where they can find you online? Yeah, the best way is just my website and it's just charlieingle.com and uh, everything is on there. Social media handles, if you're into that stuff. I, I'm not a great social media person unless I'm out doing something like the penguin. I think I posted, you know, 50 times, but if I'm just at home doing nothing, I, I you're not going to see a lot <laughs> about that. But you can also buy my book if you choose to. If you want a signed copy of the book, you can see some of my talks that I've given uh, around the world to Fortune 500 companies or to you know the United Nations or the World Water Conference or wherever it may be. And Articles, so it's kind of a clearinghouse, and I'll leave people with a tease. You know, I, as you know, in my sobriety, uh, well into sobriety, 19 years sober, I found myself in federal prison for a year and a half. And you know, there's a lot to that story, and I talk about it, write about it. Uh, it's always part of what I what I normally include. Um, so there's a lot of information there, you know, which which I think most people will find interesting. So just the website. It is interesting indeed. I highly recommend it. And the book was was awesome for me, especially actually that I have the book, but I actually listened to it because you narrate it yourself. And I thought that was that's always a, a nice touch when the author actually narrates the book. And it was it was very firsthand, very highly recommended. Charlie, thank you for your time. And I guess I will be seeing you in Costa Rica at some point in the next couple of months. You're darn right you will. Keep training, brother. So Thank you. I got you. All Thank right. You. Take care. Thanks for having me.